0: 2 Kings chapter 4, verses 1-7, through seven, and the word of God says this. Now the wife of one of the sons of the prophets cried to Elijah, Your servant, my husband, is dead, and you know that your servant feared the Lord. But the creditor has come to take my two children to be his slaves. And Elijah said to her, What shall I do for you? Tell me, what have you in the house? She said, Your servant has nothing in the house except a jar of oil. Then he said go outside borrow vessels from all your neighbors empty vessels and not too few then go in and shut the door behind yourself and your sons and pour into all these vessels and when one is full set it aside. So she went from him and shut the door behind herself and her sons and as she poured they brought vessels to her. When the vessels were full, she said to her son, bring me another vessel. And he said to her, there is not another. Then the oil stopped flowing. She came and told the man of God. and He said, go sell the oil and pay your debts and you and your sons can live on the rest. Amen. This is the word of the Lord. Let me pray for us as we go into the sermon today. God, I thank you, Father, that in you there is an abundance. I thank you, Lord, that you are our provider, but you are also our deliverer. Father, as we go into this message today, God, I pray that we would know more deeply who you are and who we are in you. Father, I pray for a revelation, God. We want to know who you are. We want to know your words. We want to know your character. And as we look at the life of Elisha today, Lord Jesus, would you bridge the gap, Father, so that we may see your words come alive and be made flesh into our lives today and now. Father, we come to you with open hearts and hungry hearts, God, wanting to hear from you and you alone. We love you, Lord. We thank you. And in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Now... I remember I was having a conversation um, a few weeks ago with one of my friends. They were talking about Enneagrams. And specifically, we were talking about Enneagrams in the context of relationships. And for the longest time, I never cared about, like, I didn't know what Enneagram I was. You know, I kind of knew my mind's rigged. And if you guys know, like, Enneagram is basically like a personality test, you know. But it's kind of another version of that. There's numbers one through nine. You can figure out what personality type you are. And after I started um, dating, right, like that's when I started really being interested because I was like, wow, I didn't think someone could be so (laughs) different from me. Like I didn't realize that we were like in the same species of people, you know, there are times where I'm like, wow, we think in such opposite ways. And we're just talking about which enneagrams we are. And there was one one of my friends just started saying, like, guys. Can I just rant for a second, we're like sure he's like, you know, I feel like we just talk about Enneagrams all the time. Like every conversation I go, people are just curious about what Enneagrams we are, you know, who cares, right? What like, why, you know, and he was just like going on and on about how he was so tired of hearing Enneagrams and it's true think right now is Enneagrams. If you guys were, um, you know, alive a couple years ago or maybe present in high school, um, we talked about Myers-Briggs. Now, I don't know if you guys know about Myers-Briggs, but it's also another personality type. There's four letters and you're categorized introvert or extrovert, intuitive, judgmental. I don't remember the rest. Um, if you're in more Christian circles, there's like heart motives, right? And this is like, this sounds super holy. It's like, what heart motive are you? You know, what is your core? desire right and I was having another conversation I was like you know I don't know how much I agree with heart motives because aren't all our core desires to be loved right (laughs) like who at the the end of the day who wants to be respected more than just being loved right and I was like having these debates in our conversations but the truth is whether you're in Christian circles or not there is a desire there is an obsession to know more about ourselves and I've shared this before The older you get, the more people try to unpack and understand, you know, strength finders in the business world. If you go into corporations, you'll see that there's, there's this thing called strength finders, right? And they want to know what are your strengths? What are like some of the things that you can contribute, right? Maybe you've taken spiritual gifts tests and I love spiritual gift tests. You know, what are your spiritual gifts? What are your anointings? Right. And there's so much both Christian and non-Christian. There's so much industry in finding out more about yourself. Maybe for you guys in school is what are you passionate about in the future? What are you going to be when you grow up? right what are you gonna like i remember when i was in first grade i was like i'm gonna be a magician (laughs) this is my dream i thought i knew myself right (laughs) i thought i was like this is who i am mother (laughs) you know i'm gonna be a magician it's because i saw like las vegas shows you know with the lion disappearing i'm like oh my gosh like this is my dream you know and so for for like up until i was in sixth grade i was like i'm gonna be a magician i'm gonna do it right not not knowing that for me I'm I suck at trying to do these things like I can't like I can't figure out the science between it I would be a terrible magician I would go go out of business right and whatever it is there is a desire to know who you are to know what you're made for to know what you're passionate about and I believe that when we look at scriptures, although I think this desire is human, I think that there's an innate desire to know, right, for understanding why, because it goes back into our identity. And we see this even seeping into our politics, our identity, you know, what party we affiliate with, what are our political beliefs, all of these things that are fruit of what we believe about ourselves, what we believe about who we are, who, we, who do we identify with, Right. And there's so much industry about that. But <clears throat> I believe that to really understand yourself, you must understand God. I believe that that with all, all that man does. And I said this before, but with all that you can strive to look in yourself, you will reach a limit there will be a a limit to your understanding of yourself when you begin with yourself, when you look inside yourself. There's so much talking about look inside, discover yourself, find yourself, right? Um, Last week, Pastor Paul mentioned the Show World's Toughest Race, right? I also watched it too, and I'm like blown away, right? This is literally the world's toughest race. Like I finished this season being like, why would anyone do this? Right? I don't understand. Like they go basically 10 days in the jungle with like one hour of sleep and they get infections. Some of them get sick, some of them like risk their lives so that they could just finish this race. And when you hear the a lot of the backstory, when I was as I was listening to their backstory, it's a lot about identity. It's like, man, I in the Marines and I got injured and now I want to prove to myself that I still have like the abilities that I once had or maybe it's like I I used to be an Ironman and then and then once that race ended I, I, I fell into depression and this race is for me to understand that like this is like I'm stronger than what I am there's a lot of talk about identity even though it's a physical race there's so much conversation about identity and you'll see in places like world's toughest race People reach the limit of human capacity, and it's pretty big, but you will always reach a limit, but I believe that for the Christian, for the believer, to understand yourself, for the human, because we are made in the image of God, we are not made in our own image, but we are made, we are created, we did not create ourselves, although our parents, you know, like we are birthed out of love, we were made ultimately in the image of God. God. So in order to find yourself, in order to know yourself, it must begin and end with God. The more that you know God, the more that you know Christ, the more that you understand his character, the more you will know yourself. And I believe that knowing yourself is not the center of our existence, but it's a byproduct of having known God first. That discovering your passions is only secondary. It's a byproduct to discovering the passions of God. And yet, how little time do we put in understanding God's character? And I don't know how many prayers or how many meetings or how many seasons I've gone through in my life, where my prayers sounded the same week after week you know, but I believe that if we spent, if America, if the world spent as much industry and in understanding the personality of God, the qualities of God, the heart motive of God, the, the, the like you know, ENFP, Myers-Briggs Enneagram of God, I believe that there will be so much more revelation of our individual identities. And if you just look at the book of Psalms, if you just look at like Psalms itself, it is basically a book of prayers writing about the qualities and the characteristics of God. And many times in Christian faith, we make our lives about finding ourselves, that we make our Christian faith about unpacking our abilities right we make our christian faith about man you just need to pray and you just need to read the word and you need to go to church and these are all true but it's not just about what we do but it's how we do it that's important it's not just because if that was the case then any religion like any other religion were far surpassed christianity almost every religion major world religion there's prayer There's reading of text, and there's congregating together. But what sets Christianity apart? It's not the action, but it's the measure of the the method of our action and the person that we, we do these things onto. The only thing that separates Christianity from a world religion is Jesus. And so ought not we spend our time in this day and age understanding, knowing the depth and the qualities of Jesus Christ. And all that to say, we're gonna go into text today, but before we go into this text, and and, and I, I'm giving us kind of a, a large precursor to this because I want us to understand that Jesus is not just someone that came in the New Testament, Many times we separate, you know, the Old Testament as a book of history, right? And then the New Testament is Jesus. But did you know Jesus is not just someone that just came in in the middle of history? He's not removed from the things that happened in the Old Testament, but everything that was written, everything that happened from the beginning of time to the end of time points to Jesus, that he's not just someone that removes the history, but everything in history happens in anticipation for him. So I'm going to give you guys a little bit some theological context now. Alright, so just bear with me, but I'm going to start talking about some Theological terms. And the one thing I want to talk about today is biblical typology. Okay, and basically what that means is that every person in history. It is an event or person or an institution that gets repeated in history as an example. Or pattern. It's basically a pattern. It's like a. It's it's a type, right? Like it's, it's like a font, right? And basically, what happens is when we look at characters in history, we'll see. And this was an understanding when you when you're in old Jewish literature, there was an understanding of history as being cyclical. If you've ever heard the term "history repeats itself," if you guys have heard that term, can you guys just give me a thumbs up? All right. So I know this is like dense, so I just need some polls. Okay. Thank you. okay. History repeats itself. And there was this understanding in Jewish literature that history was cyclical, meaning you would see the same things, same arcs happening over and over again. And the main arts at that time was that man would receive something from God, man would try, strive to fulfill God's commandments, and man would fail. But what happened is in these cycles of history, Jesus came, fulfilled perfectly every commandment, every role that man could not fulfill on his own, and he broke the cycle. And I just want to say this, how do you know you're living for Christ? Has your life been a cycle of ups and downs, spiritual highs and spiritual lows, or has Jesus come into your life and broken the cycle that you... Once we're living in, because let me tell you that Christ, when He entered into history, He broke the cycle of failure so that we could live in a trajectory of victory. And in the same way, when Jesus entered into our lives, He broke our cycles of failure, He broke our cycles of spiritual highs and spiritual lows so that we can enter into victory. All that being said, Elisha, we're going to dive into the life. One person, and today we're just going to unpack one aspect of Jesus Christ. Because for, for any scripture that we look at, any passage in the Old Testament or the New Testament, I want us to come with this lens of saying, What does this tell me about Christ? What does this tell me about God? And consequently, what does this tell me about myself? So, with that in mind, right, knowing that knowing ourselves must come from knowing God. Knowing that all of Scripture points to an understanding of Jesus Christ, let's dive into Scripture. And basically, what happens? We read this in the beginning, but this is the beginning of Elijah's ministry, and he um, he is he is anointed. He gets a double portion of his mentor. Now I don't know how this works. Like his name was, his mentor's name is Elijah, but his name is Elisha. All right, this like tell, tell me about like you know confusing. <laughs> right? Like I remember like, I don't know. Okay, this is tangent. I'm not going to go there. But this is basically Elijah is the mentor. Elisha is his like disciple, right? And Elisha takes over Elijah. He gets a double portion. This is the first thing that Elisha does, and what we see about Elijah gives us a revelation with that in mind of who Jesus is. And basically, the first thing in verses one to two, he comes and the wife of one of the sons of prophet cried to Elijah, Your servant, my husband, is dead. You know that your servant feared the Lord, but the creditor has come to take my two children to be as slaves. And Elisha said to her, What shall I do for you? Tell me. What do you have in a house? So, what happens is basically there's a widow. Her husband has died. And back in Jewish law at that time, if your husband died and you had debts that you could not pay because he was the breadwinner he made the money your children and yourself would have to be sold into slavery to pay off your debt so this wasn't just like man can you give me some change you know like have you ever been like have you ever like been low on cash you know if you guys are like hey like you mind spotting me you know (laughs) can you like give me some, something just to get me by. There was a lot at stake here. She was on the verge of being sold to slavery, her and her children. She had no option left. And not, not only that, but this was someone that had loved and known the Lord. It said it was a servant of the prophet. So this was someone that had been in the church, someone that had served God, and now a great tragedy has passed and there was no way out. And basically, Elijah asked her two things. What shall I do to you? And what do you have in this house? And these are two questions that we will see answered in the next passage. But I believe that these are also two questions that we must answer in our lives. Number one, what shall I do to you? Meaning, what can God do for us? What does God do to man? Why do we need God? Essentially, that is the fundamental question. Why do we need God? What can God do for us? Elijah asked her, what can I do for you? Jesus also asked the same question. Thousands of years later in the New Testament, a blind man reaches out to him and says, Jesus Christ, our son of David, have mercy on me. And Jesus asked, what do you want me to do for you? And as we look into this passage, I want to invite you to ask yourself this question what can god do for you why do you need god why do you think that you need god what are our what are the core needs that we have that god must fulfill and number two tell me what do you have in the house basically what can god do with what is in front of us and actually we see in this passage that they answer this in reverse but in verse, three it says, um, in verse two, it says, she said, "'Your servant has nothing in the house "'except a jar of oil.' "'Then he said, "'Go outside, "'borrow vessels from all your neighbors, "'empty vessels and not too few. "'Then go in and shut the door behind yourself "'and your sons and pour into all these vessels. "'And when one is full, set it aside.' "'So she went from him and shut the door "'behind herself and her sons. "'And as she poured, they brought the vessels to her. "'When the vessels were full, she said to her son, "'Bring me another vessel.' He said to her, there's not another. Basically, what happens is, if you guys um, track through me, is Elisha asked her, what do you have left? And she says, I have nothing left in my house except for a single jar of oil now that is insane and i know we know that in biblical times scripture um uses symbolism and the oil often represents the anointing of god and the anoint of, the anointing of god at the end of the day it's the presence of god she came to a point where all she had left was the anointing was the oil and i wonder how many times in our lives have we come to a point where all we had left was the presence of god have we ever gone to that point in our lives before have we ever come to the end of ourselves? Have we ever come to the place? Have we ever sacrificed our lives serving God to the point where he was all that we had left? Or have we gone into a cycle where we keep sacrificing our oil, sacrificing our intimacy, sacrificing our time for the sake of what we have. You know, Karen, she gave a great word on Friday. I love what she gave. You know, she gave a word about Hosea, right? And she talked about how like we can, there will come a time where we can no longer give God our next times, our laters, our maybes, you know, but there will come a time where we will face the Lord. And I wonder how many of us have ever come to a place where all we had left was the presence of god because we see that it is in this place that god begins to use and god begins to fill but i wonder how many times where it has been the reverse where we're so quick to sacrifice our personal devotion where we're so quick to sacrifice our own prayer times where we're so quick to sacrifice our lives for the sake of a busy season for the sake of our futures for the sake of our jobs and i wonder how many times have we ever sacrificed these things for the sake of our personal devotion and this is important to note because what she had left was very specific but it was when she had, all she had left was the presence, the oil of God, that God began to fill and God began to multiply. And the crazy thing is, is it says, as many as there were vessels, as they were filled. And this is an important distinction in understanding what it means to have the anointing of God. I wonder how we evaluate, how we measure our time, how we measure our lives, because the world. The world, like common sense, say you must divide your time appropriately. You must divide your resources. You must divide your strength. You must divide your money appropriately. But in the anointing of God, when Jesus gives us his presence, it is not something to be divided, but multiplied. And I wonder how many of us, when we approach serving God, when we approach worshiping God, when we approach our devotions to God, we divide up our time and we give him bits and pieces when in reality, God is one that multiplies. And I don't know how many times I've fallen into this myself, where I go into a season of struggle or I go into a season of difficulty and I start to measure based on what I have, right? This woman had one jar and many times it feels like I just have one jar, but what I need to do is like eight jars, right? Have you guys ever felt that way before? You have this much and you feel like you need to give this much, right? And so I start dividing. I was like, an eighth here, an eighth here, uh, like a smidgen here, right? Like this much time here. And once I reach my limit, that's when God stops working. Once I reach my tiredness, that's when God stops working. Once I run out of money, that's when God stops working. Once my schedule gets filled up, that's when God stops working. But did you know? that the anointing of God is not one to be divided, but it is one to be multiplied. Did you know that as many vessels as you come to the Lord, he is a God of abundance, but we must be willing to bring him the vessels. We must be willing to pour and pour because the only way that she could see the abundance was to pour, right? It was not like, okay, let me just give a little bit, like, like let, I have this many, and like, okay, let me see, let me calculate how many vessels I'm going to bring, and let me just give a little bit, but as they came, as the vessel came, she poured completely, as the vessel came, she poured completely, and as the vessel came, she poured completely. The only way to access the abundance of God is to pour until you have nothing left to realize that God has much more to give you. And that's not to say, you know, you must kill yourself, right? That's not to say you must like beat yourself and do all of these things. But I believe that many times we stop, we reach a limit, not because God is done but because we limit God and we say, we measure, we calculate. Did you know we suck at kingdom math, all right? Like we, like in our calculations, we cannot calculate with the velocity and like the the strength that God can calculate. He does not calculate the, the way that we do, right? And far be it from me, once I like, once I started to understand this, I was like, dude, you know, like I already, I can't do math in the world, right? I cannot, I already cannot do worldly math, so you know what, I'm just gonna stop. Like, like how many of us start to calculate, we start to measure, we start to divide up, but God says, it's not for you to calculate. Praise the Lord, he doesn't call us to do kingdom math, all right, praise God, right? Unless you guys like math, then, you know, pursue your passions, but know that God does not measure in the same way that we do. And I believe that for us, To come before the Lord, we must understand that Jesus is the God of abundance. But the way that we access his abundance is as the vessels come to us, we pour, we pour completely. We fill the vessel up, we wait for another one, trusting that there is a new testimony for the next season. Trusting that there is enough for the next season. There's enough for tomorrow. There's enough for, your, for, for dinner. There's enough for your next day. And I, I want to share a, a testimony of one of my friends that, that really moved me, right? Um, she was going through, um, she's she, she, my friend that I met through missions, and she was going through a really hard time. And she's had a really hard life, but she was going through a time where financially she was really like, she was really struggling. You know, she was working full time at a hospital, and she said she came to a point where every day she could only afford to eat one granola bar. Like that's all she had to eat. And she was basically going meal to meal, paycheck to paycheck. And she was serving the Lord and she was raising money for missions. And I remember she said, there was one day where I was sitting in my car and I had music glaring. I had my granola bar on my dashboard and I saw a homeless woman approach my car. And I remember seeing her and being like, man, like, I don't want like, I don't want her to ask me about nothing. You know, like, I don't want like, I don't want to deal with this right now. So she rolls up her window and this homeless woman knocks on her window and she like crack, like, you know, like inches it down. She's like, and then the woman asked her, I just want to know what song you're playing. This is a very beautiful song. Can you just tell me the name of the song that you're playing in your car? And it was a worship song. It was a Bethel song. And that moment she felt convicted. And this is after months of eating close to nothing, right? She was hungry. She was working. She didn't have, after this granola bar, she didn't have a meal, but she felt convicted and saying, God, you know, I judged her so much, but all she wanted to, to, to know was the name of my worship song. And she felt challenged by God to give her that granola bar. And I remember her saying, this was one of the hardest decisions of my life this granola bar was like one of the hardest things for me to do. But as she prayed, she decided to give this woman her granola bar. And she just, after she, after that woman left, she just broke down. She's crying. She's like, God, I don't have anything left. But a few hours later, her friend reached out to her and said, Hey, I want to take you out to dinner. And that night she had one of the best meals she ever had in her life. And in that, as she was sharing, she was like, man, God is always worth it. Not just because of the meal, right? Not just because of the dinner, but in that moment, God marked her and saying, I only have a granola bar, but God, if you want it, it's yours. This is all I have. But as she gave what seemed like so little, God began to fill her. And God began to give her an abundance. And I think many times we see ourselves and we think that we just have a granola bar. So we try to divide it up. Or maybe we even refuse to give it to God and saying, you know, I'm too tired. I'm not ready. I'm too busy. I'm not strong enough. I'm not faithful enough. But do you know that when you give it to God, he doesn't ask you for a portion of it. But he asks for all of it so that he can multiply it so that he can show you that he is a God of abundance. And I just wanna encourage you guys in this season right now to give your vessel to the Lord and to let him fill you, to let him constantly fill you, that you don't need to save to make sure you have enough for tomorrow, but when you give every day all that you can to God, every day he will begin to fill you and he'll begin to write testimonies in your life that you've never even imagined, that he'll begin to write Things and prayers in your life that you never thought could be written. And all that that to say, I think that the second question is, what do you have in the house? And the woman said all she had was a jar of oil. I believe that he asked this because he wanted to show her what God wants from us. To give him what we have so that he can do what he can do. And as we kind of finish this um, this verse in verses 6 to 7, it says this, When the vessels were full, she said to her son, bring me another vessel. And he said to her, there is not another. Then the oil stopped flowing. She came and told the man of God. And he said, go sell the oil and pay your debts. And you and your sons can live on on the rest. So basically what happens is Elijah, through this miracle, delivers them, provides for them their needs, their physical needs, and also delivers them from a life of bondage from a life of slavery. And this, this time, Elijah was just a man. He could not, he did not have the money, you know, he's on a pastor's salary, <laughs> salary, right? In the, in the Old Testament, right? He did not have the money to pay their debts. So he, he um, used a miracle, to fill their debts. But did you know that if Elijah is a typology for Jesus, Jesus himself not only had enough to pay our debts, but he became the one to pay our debts so that we can be delivered out of a life of bondage and slavery. Did you know that this story about Elijah and the widow is not too removed from what Jesus did for us? But although Elijah was just one man, and although he only had one miracle in this instance to give to this woman, Jesus Jesus himself became the one to pay our debts to pay the debts that we owe that to pay the price for our freedom so that we can be delivered out of a bondage out of a life of bondage we can be delivered out of a life living paycheck to paycheck and this isn't a prosperity gospel but just living for the next thing when Jesus has given us the capacity to live in abundance now and not only that But Jesus himself became the oil to fill our vessels. Jesus did not just give us money. On that cross, it was not a miracle. It was not a message. It was not a sermon. But it was Jesus himself. He, out of all of his ministry, he could could have done so many things. But on the cross, it was himself, and he became the oil. The olive that was crushed so that the oil can flow forth so that whoever comes to him can be filled. So that no matter what, no matter how many people come to him, no matter how many times we come to Jesus, every time we come to him, we can be filled. By him, that he becomes the oil that fills us, that he becomes the anointing that fills our vessels, that fills us. And so many times we're like, Jesus, why aren't we being filled by you? Well, how come we're not encountering you? But I believe that for us, the only requirement for the widow was that these were empty jars. Have you become empty enough to allow Jesus' space to fill you? Will you come before the Lord and will you allow him to fill your vessel over and over again? Jesus became not just Elijah. He did not only fulfill what Elijah had done, but he did so much more, so much greater things than what Elijah did at this time. This was just a symbol of what Jesus would do for us, that he would provide, that he would pay our debts so that we can be delivered. And not only that, but he became the oil that fills us every single day, that fills any person that comes before him. So if he ever felt like you're in a season of scarcity, if you've ever felt like you're in a season where you don't have enough, where you're running on fumes, Jesus is the oil that fills us. Jesus is the anointing that fills every vessel that comes to him. All I want to um, encourage you guys with this today is that Jesus is a God of abundance. He is an abundance. Abundant provider. He is an abundant Savior in him. We do not have to measure What we give we do not have to measure the time that we spend But in Christ when we give it all he will multiply the little that we have to offer so if we could come into a time of prayer and I want to invite you to join me in prayer if you um, If you feel convicted and led to come before the Lord And as you come before him if you've been measuring in your life or if you've gone through a season where you feel like you don't have enough, can we come before God and say, Lord, I acknowledge you as the abundant God, as an abundant provider, that even if all I have is a single granola bar, God, if you want it, it's yours. I want to give it to you, whatever it is. You don't have to have much, even if it's a single jar of oil, pour it out before the Lord and let him fill the vessels time and time again. So let's come before the Lord as, um, as I pray for us. And then if, um, if we could kind of close in a song of worship, um, and then we'll, we'll go on from there. But let me pray for us um, as we kind of enter into this time of responding to the Lord. Yes, God, Father, we thank you, Lord Jesus, that you are an abundant God. Father, I thank you, Lord Jesus, that in you there is always enough. And Father, I pray that in this season, we would, um, we would come into a greater revelation of who you are, God, how you are the only one that fills us, that you are the only one that satisfies us, God. Father, I pray that as we lay these things down before you, that you would fill us once again, for every heart that is wearied and tired, that you would fill us once again, and that you would give us an abundance of knowing more your character and your grace in our lives. Father, we thank you, Lord Jesus. We love you, and in Jesus' name we pray.